appreciate that good prayer. I said last week that there's an old saying about preachers shouldn't take a text until the text takes him. And uh, that text in Hebrews 12 took me a couple weeks ago, and it still got me. So we're going to look back to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Last week we talked about the first thing that is mentioned there by the Apostle Paul in describing the church of God. We're going to go on to the second one, but I do want to add some closing comments that I didn't quite get to uh, last week. So if you'll bear with me, we'll make a few comments about that. But I said this morning as we welcomed everyone, I welcome you to the city of the living God. And that is a very pointed and distinct description that the Apostle Paul gives. Not only does he call it Mount Zion, but in Hebrews 12 and 22, he calls it the city of the living God. Now, one of the reasons that this has taken me, and it's been stirring around in my mind for some time, is because I think regaining an understanding about what the church of God is, is essential for God's people to understand how important it is that we continue fellowshipping and worshiping and being together and coming to the city of God. Because, face it, we've all experienced some drawing back or another. And and I've told you last week, there's people of God, children of God, born of the Spirit, that will never darken the door of a church again as long as they live. And that's very sad. And I'm not saying, pointing the finger and mad and angry at them. You know, you could get angry if you think about stuff like that. But it, it breaks my heart because of the fear-mongering that has taken place around the world. It's nothing other than the devil underneath that saying, stay away. You know, be afraid and stay away. That is what the devil is doing. And they'll call us crazy and cultish and old fogey and nuts, you know, for saying stuff like that. But I've said before, you know, hear me now, believe me now or believe me later. You're going to believe that one day. When the Lord reveals everything, (laughs) might as well go ahead and believe it now because it's in the word of God. So as we begin this morning, let's read the text again. He says in verse Hebrews 12 and 22, but ye are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This morning, as you sit here, as you came in those doors and remember, we don't speak of the brick and the mortar, the building, the rafters, the lights. That's not the church, okay? That's not the city of God. It's just a place, a habitation, a a, a place that we could come into that keeps the sun off of our our head. And we are nice and cool in here. You see, the city of God is something so much more than just some brick and mortar. But understand, when he refers to the city of God, he is making a comparison to a place that actually existed, and in some form or another, physically it still exists today, Jerusalem. Over there in the Middle East. I told you last week as we conclude our, our thoughts about Mount Sion, which is referred to Mount, as Mount Zion in the Old Testament. It literally means to see Mount Sion, where you would see the pinnacle. And as you made your way into the capital city, Jerusalem, and you went to the holy Mount Zion, which was the pinnacle of the city where the temple was, where the Ark of the Covenant sat, and where the Holy of Holies was behind the two-foot-thick curtain. Remember that that epitomized, that was the absolute epitome of the Jewish nation and their connectivity with God. You could go nowhere on the planet 
in those days when God's favor was upon the nation in the Old Testament of Israel. That was the nation that he named and chose and called. And you could, if you wanted to reach out and touch God, you could go no further than the Holy of Holies. And remember, you couldn't even go in there. <laughs> you just had to trust that the priest would do it right and get it right. And for another year, you know, the Lord would be pleased for that once a year holy sacrifice. Now, remember, there were sacrifices going on every day. Every day there were sacrifices going on. But there was one time a year that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. Psalm 48 says, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth. The city of our God, Mount Zion. You see, Mount Zion was within the city of God, which was Jerusalem, where he chose to place his name. Beautiful for situation. Psalms 50 and 2 says that Mount Zion, Jerusalem, was the perfection of beauty. And I love Psalm 102 and 13 in reference to Mount Zion. It says, Arise, Lord, and have mercy on Mount Zion. Can we not say that today? Can we not say that today? We need to ask the Lord to arise and have And I'm not talking about a place in the Middle East. I'm talking about what God intended to be the epitome of the connectivity that he would have with you and me in the New Testament, which is the holy Jerusalem which is the city of the living God. You are that city, child of God. Okay? You are part of that. You are citizens of that city. You don't have to go to the Middle East. Now, it might be a great time and a vacation, and it might be a historical trip. I would love to go myself and see the places where on our Savior actually trod while he was on this earth. But the city of God is where God chooses to place his name and he has chosen to place his name on his church in the New Testament. And it's described as Mount Zion. It's described as the city of the living God, the perfection of beauty in this day and time that we live. Psalm 126, which we have a song in our new hymn book that my nephew, Brother Mason wrote. And it speaks of when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion. We were as those that dream. I've told you before that that was a verse of scripture that my father in the ministry, Brother Lonnie Mazingo Jr., gave to me whenever I left Nashville, moving back down here and wondering if we'd ever find anybody that believed the truth or wanted to share uh, fellowship in the city of God, of the living God. <laughs> yeah, I look at you and I think of the testimony that your very presence here this morning, whether you're here all the time or visiting, your presence here this morning is a testimony to God answering that prayer. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were as those that dream. <laughs> I'm smiling. I'm laughing right now. I'm fulfilling that verse in my life right now. Uh, then was our tongues filled with laughter. <laughs> our mouths were filled with singing. You see, that's what it's like when God favors the city of God. You see? So I told you that there's about seven references to Mount Zion in the New Testament. And I very briefly said... Here's where one of them was. And I just want to run through those real quick. So you can see that Mount Sion, Sion, as it would be pronounced in the Greek, Mount Sion is something that you are to see by faith. You understand? It's not a physical place that you go, but it is a place that you see by faith. And listen, <clears throat> when you go to church, when you go to the city of God, you should be asking God and praying and expecting to see something. <laughs> And it's, I don't mean my old ugly mug up here. 
You know, by the eye of faith, you know, when the people went up to the city of God in the days when the closest that you could get to God was found through the temple worship and the pinnacle of spirituality in those days was in Jerusalem and on Mount Zion, they expected to see something. Will God accept my sacrifice? Will God be pleased with me? (laughs) We ought to expect to see something. We ought to expect to experience something. Is it Elder Ricky Harcrow that says, you know, I don't want a religion that I can't feel. I love that. I want to feel it. I want to, I want to feel the approbation of God. I want to feel and know the experience that we have been to the city of God. I told you, you can experience God in other places. It's not like God limits himself to the city of God. But you, you, we would be absolutely sticking our head in the sand if we said, well, there's not something special about it. Because why? Because I said so. Because God said so. So in Matthew 21... And John 12, we have the first two occurrences, and they're the same event there uh, where it speaks of Jesus and it speaks of Mount Zion. In Matthew 21 and 5, and it's also, again, the account is also in John 12. We're combining the first two, but they're the same. In Matthew 21 and 5, we find where Jesus is riding in, it's his triumphal entry into the holy city, into Jerusalem. Okay, in Matthew 21 and 5, it says, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, there's the word, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And Jesus gets on this foal, this little, uh, very, um, not a full-grown donkey. He gets on this foal that's never been written. I don't know if you know anything about donkeys. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a mule for a while. <laughs> And, you know, you heard the phrase, stubborn is a mule. Well, these little donkeys that have never been ridden, it's impossible for somebody to ride them. So Jesus just goes because he's the master of all donkeys. <laughs> and it, maybe you say, well, that's funny, you know, that those animals are cute. Maybe you're that animal. <laughs> maybe you're stubborn as a mule. Well, I'm going to tell you what, Jesus can calm you and set you in the right direction, whether you've ever been broke or not. <laughs> That's the symbolism that's going on there. Jesus just walks up to this little wild and crazy uh, foal, donkey. He just sits on it. Why? Because he's the master. And your glorious king and redeemer doesn't ride in some gold and silver ornate chariot into his capital city. He rides on the back of a little donkey. And the children are crying out there. I wish I had time to preach all that out. That's not what's fully on my mind this morning. But you read it on out. And it says as he goes in and they're throwing palm branches in front of him, it says, behold him, see him, Mount Sion. You get that? It is Mount Sion, Mount Sion. See him, behold, that means to look and see him. And they all looked in awe and saw the king coming in his glory, sitting on a little donkey. And they threw palm branches down in his way. And the children were crying. You go on and read down, it says the children were crying in the temple. And the Pharisees says, make them be quiet. And Jesus said, don't you know that the word of God says that out of the mouths of babes thou hast perfected praise. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus didn't condemn the children being in the worship service of the king. Isn't that glorious? We should never condemn the children from the smallest infant uh, to whatever. Because God has ordained praise out of the mouth of babes. That's glorious, isn't it? (laughs) Romans 9 and verse 33. We have another Behold, these are the occurrences of Sion, Mount Sion in the New Testament. And every time, as I told you, it's Sion, it's not Zion. Romans 9 and verse 33. We'll we'll run right through these real quick because I want to talk to you primarily about the city of the living God. If I can just get there, I'm flipping pages here. 
forgetting where Romans is. That's, that's something in it. Romans 9, and look at verse 33. It says, as it is written, behold. See there? You catch that? Behold. Every time there is a look and see. Mount Sion. Mount Zion. Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know, I just preached on that on the cornerstone just a few weeks ago. You remember that? That is the glory of the city of God that the cornerstone that is laid is the one that was rejected by his own people. But if you believe he is the cornerstone, he is glorious and you will not be ashamed of him. You will not run away from him. You will not deny him. Romans 11 and 22. The apostle Paul is telling us a lot about Mount Sion, Mount Zion. Romans 11 and verse 22. Behold, there's the behold. Therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity. Now you go on down and you read uh, in verse 26 where it says, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Listen, when he says all Israel shall be saved, he's not talking about the covenant nation of the Old Testament. He's not talking about that. You'll get confused as a termite and a yo-yo if you try to figure out Israel as the same Israel that's spoken of every time he refers to Israel. You've got to know the context. All Israel is speaking to the covenant people of God. And we as old Baptists, of, of all people and groups, preach and teach that not one of God's children will be lost. That's a, that is something to behold. Especially in a day and time when Jesus is weak and begging and pleading and he's portrayed as somebody that can't get the job done without your assistance. Paul says, behold, all of God's covenant children, all of spiritual Israel shall be saved. That's something to behold when you come to Mount Sion, isn't it? (laughs) Very quickly. Well, we've already covered Hebrews 12 and 22. You've seen that. You are not come unto the mount that might not be touched, but you are come unto Mount Sion. 1 Peter 2 and 6. I've already mentioned the last one that we're going to go to, but First Peter 2 and 6, this is where Peter refers to Jesus as the, the living stone, the cornerstone. He says, behold, there it is again. Are y'all catching that? Every time you have a reference to Sion, Mount Zion, there is a behold, because we're supposed to see something when we come to Mount Zion. He says, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Same quote from Paul in Romans. And we finished out last week in Revelation 14. <laughs> I don't want you to miss this. I, I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. But also, I don't want to under-spiritualize it. <laughs> Revelation 14, John says, And I looked, there it is again, behold, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. And John, up in heaven, sees There's got to be some relevance to Mount Zion, to Mount Zion. And what do you see here with Jesus Christ when he sees him in heaven and he sees the lamb with his feet planted upon Mount Zion? He's not talking about a place over in the Middle East. He's talking about the church of God. And Christ's feet are firmly planted in Mount Zion, the city of the living God. So I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I want you to understand Whereas in the Old Testament, the closest that you could get for connectivity with God was to the Temple Mount and the Holy of Holies through the high priest that was the only one that could go in. Now Jesus in the New Testament is your high priest. And the way that we access the Holy of Holies is through the sacrifice of the Son of God. Does that make sense? 
That's Mount Sion. And so Jesus can stand on Mount Sion and we can look and behold him. There's no two foot thick curtain that we can't see through and just hope and pray the Lord will accept the sacrifice that the high priest comes in. No, we see Christ on the cross. Behold the Lamb of God with his feet firmly planted in Mount Zion. I love that. I tell you. By faith, you see the church. And at the end of time, listen to me. At the end of time, you will see this in reality. But until then, the closest that you can get with connectivity with a holy God is through the high priest who went in. Not not he didn't go into Jerusalem and Mount Zion. It's a figure of a greater thing. He went into heaven itself. Hebrews nine says that you see he went into heaven and said, here I am. Here's my blood. Here's my sacrifice. There is no holier of holiers than heaven itself in the throne room. And the Lord Father in heaven said, sacrifice accepted. Now we have free access to the holy of holies through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? If we see that and we understand that, don't we? Doesn't that draw us closer to the Lord in worship? It's the city of God. Let's talk about the city of God. That's my subject this morning. Thank you for letting me get those other thoughts about Mount Sion off my chest. I think I might have exploded if I had to wait another week. (laughs) So we move to the description of the church of God, which is the city of the living God. Now, I want you to listen to this. I'm just going to run through these. If you want the list later, I'll be glad to give it to you. But I'm going to run through these about the references to this. Can there be any doubt whatsoever that the church of God is the city of the living God? Listen to these references. Galatians 4 and 26. The Apostle Paul refers to the church of God as Jerusalem above, which is free, which is the mother of us all. You say, well, I thought we just had a heavenly father and we have the son of God. Well, you also have a mother. It is the church of God. You love your mother, I guarantee you. I love my mother. She's sitting right there. Praise God. I love my father, too. There's a special relationship that children normally have with their mother. Now, I know that's not the case at all times, but it should be that way. I can remember, you know, we'd get hurt when we were kids. We didn't go running to daddy. I mean, we loved daddy, but, you know, he wasn't going to pet us and, and put a Band-Aid on us as much as mama would. Oh, children of God. The church of God is your mother. Paul said so. It's Jerusalem, which is above, which is free. See, it's, he sets that in distinction from Jerusalem, which was on the earth at that time. Because they were in bondage. Because they were still following the law. They thought they still had to go up to the temple and sacrifice the Holy of Holies. I wonder how they repaired that two-foot thick curtain when it ripped in two. I, don't, I bet they couldn't repair that. I don't think you can repair a curtain after it's been ripped like that. Especially two-foot thick. The veil of the temple was ripped in two when Jesus Christ gave up the ghost. They had to get another curtain, no doubt. They were still doing that, and they were in bondage. Child of grace, you are not in bondage today. You are beholden to Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all. (laughs) You've got a heavenly father, you've got the son of God, you've got the spirit of God, and you've got the church of God, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is your mother. You see, how are you treating your mother? Brother Asher's playing football. And I was a receiver in high school and in college. I usually tell folks that they say, what did you play in college? I say, I played tailback. Because every time I ran on the field, the coach said, son, sit your tail back down. (laughs) But I played a little receiver. And I remember in high school, I think I maybe only dropped one pass in high school. Because I was really OCD about that. You know, keep your thumbs together. Keep your fingers together. Keep your pinkies together if it's like this. I mean, just, you know, we had it down to a science. So I've talked to this young man on the team, you know, about catching the ball, watching it in, tucking it in, all this type of stuff. And I tell him, I said, treat that ball like it's your mother. You wouldn't drop your mother, would you? I mean, maybe that's silly, but I'd think about it. Here comes mama. You know, I'm not going to drop mama. 
I'm going to take care of mama. How are you going to treat the church of God? You know, you're going to look away when it's like a pass on the way. Oh, goodness. You're going to look away. You're going to look away from the church of God when it's right there in your hands. Oh, take it and cradle it and love it. Like these boys that play football would take that football and love it like it's their mother. See, that's silly. Well, see, it works for some of them. I don't see too many drops for, from some of them. The ones that are dropping a lot, maybe they don't care anything about their mother. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't tell them I said that. I'm just joking. So the church of God is your mother in this life. How are you treating your mother? Hebrews 12 and 22, it calls it the city of the living God. We're going to pause there for just a minute. I want you to think about this. I, about 2 o'clock in the morning last night, I couldn't sleep. So I thought, well, what would be better? Binge watch some show that I'll forget about the next day or maybe read the word of God. Hint, hint to the binge watchers. I got the Word of God out, and I thought, well, I'll just read through some of the book of Hebrew because that's going to be my text today. So I started back about Hebrews 9, where it talks about 8, 7, where it talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, where he goes into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And, and as I was reading that, it just, I just, it was just the Lord's Spirit confirming this message about the city of the living God. Because the tone, if you go and read from 7, and, tr- and keep your concentration on this subject. Now, you'll get lost in some of that Melchizedek stuff and law stuff, Don't, but come from this angle. What is the Apostle Paul trying to get across in the overall theme from describing the law and the law service and all those things? You come on down to chapter 10, and you know what he says? After he's laid all that out and showed how much better Jesus is and how much better Jesus' sacrifice is. Because that's the theme of the book of Hebrews is there's something better and it's Christ and it's his church. And you come on down into Hebrews the 10th chapter and he says, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is what he's leading up to. Then he says, for there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It means that if we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in the city of God, then we're going to be numb and callous to the things of God and to the city of God. See, the whole thing is leading up to that. He says, don't draw back, draw near. He says, don't pull away, pull in. Because it's the city of the living God. It's not just a place to come and hear Brother Tim and Brother Luke and Brother McNeil and Brother Neil from time to time. Oh, we'll see what they've got to say today. Child of grace, it's the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And we beg God, please come down. Please come and accept our sacrifice here today. He said, what's my sacrifice? If you're singing when you're sitting there and you're praying when you're sitting there, it is the sacrifice of praise, of prayer, and of singing. If I'm up here preaching, that is my sacrifice to deliver the word of God to the saints of God. Oh, I pray God would be pleased that we just brag on him for a little while. It's the city of God. Oh, by the way, let me give you this definition where he says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is how important it is. The word assembly there means a complete collection. Y'all have heard me tell about my dream. My dream is that one time, one communion, that all members would be present and accounted for. Nobody sick, nobody traveling, nobody with a headache that started five days before. Y'all get that in a minute. (laughs) Some people say on Monday, I got a headache. I don't think I'm going to make it to church next week. Come on. That gives me a headache. Okay? I still come. (laughs) So the word assembly means a complete collection. It comes from a root word that means from to collect upon the same place in person together. The word comes from another root that means to gather together. 
You think you can figure out what the Apostle Paul intended? The assembly of the saints is the most important thing in the kingdom of God that we do from week to week. Revelation 3 and 12. He describes it. Jesus, that's Jesus' words. He says, he speaks of the city of my God. He speaks of the new Jerusalem. Now watch the language. Which cometh down from God out of heaven from my God. Now I do without question, and you can't, you can't read the references to the, to the new Jerusalem and uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth. You can't read that without understanding that there's coming a day when that is going to come down and can take over and consume everything. I do not mean planting here upon this earth because there will be no earth here for it to plant on. There will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This earth, this heavens will be obliterated and gone. Don't fear. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about a rapture and being taken away from that because every single one of God's children will witness that all together with the Son of God when it takes place. It won't touch you because you're a child of God whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, let the wicked fear that. Oh, the fear-mongering that goes on in the world today from things that we're dealing with like the coronavirus and other things. But think about the fear-mongering that's gone on for centuries in relation to the second coming of the Lord where they scare the socks off of people. Elder David Crawford preached a message back in, I believe it was 2001, It was the first time I ever heard Brother David preach, and it was about 10.45 at night. We were at the New Year's Eve meeting in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Poor Sister Tracy doesn't remember because she was bouncing two babies on each side, little Madison and little Abigail, and they were yang, yang, cry, cry, you know, so she's in the cry room, and faithful old husband, father, sitting in there listening to preaching. (laughs) But I got a good one, let me tell you. We were all sleepy, and we were tired, about to fall asleep. It's 1045, time to go home, call it a night, happy new year, you know, old Lang Syne, let's go home. Elder David Crawford took the stand. He preached on the second coming of Christ. And you could feel the clicking of the heels in that room whenever he began to preach about that subject. And he told an account in that sermon that I'll never forget, that there was a little girl in the community that they brought over to his house one night that went to another church. And she'd been in a Sunday school class. I'm talking about a seven-year-old girl. And in the Sunday school class, the teacher in the Sunday school class had brought out a picture of these locusts. From the book of Revelation that had the face of a man and these wings and a stinger and all this stuff. And they say, hey, you know, uh, does this scare you? (laughs) Are you kidding me? It scares me to tell you about it. You know, this thing's going to get you if you don't accept Christ. Are you kidding me? I'd accept him ten times if that thing was trying to get me. You see, that's fear-mongering, child of grace. The greatest thing that's going to happen, the next greatest event is not what's going to happen at the next election, the presidential election, not the next Senate election, not the next congressional election, not the next vacation that you take, not the next anniversary that you have, not the next birthday. I hope you have all wonderful of those. Happy birthday, happy anniversary. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing that's yet to come, the greatest event that will take place on this earth, is when the heavenly Jerusalem and when the new heavens and the new earth takes the place of the old heavens and the old earth, The Lord comes back. All Israel, all of his children shall be saved. We'll all be together. There won't be any trouble anymore. Praise God. There's nothing to fear. You said, what about those locusts? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. And anybody that says they do got it figured out, you better turn away and run from that person. Because the symbolism and the allegories and the pageantry that it's in the book of Revelation was well, not intended to be brought out that somebody drew it out and scare a little seven-year-old girl with it. That's not the theme of Revelation. Those things are prepared for the wicked. If you believe in the Lord and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be confounded by those things. You see, you know those things don't touch you. And it's not because you're so special. It's because Christ is so special. It's because the King of kings and Lord of lords has touched you by His grace. Those things will not affect you. The theme of Revelation is Jesus wins. 
Come back to that. Take comfort in that. Jesus says that. And here's how I got sidetracked. Sorry. He says the new Jerusalem, which cometh down from God out of heaven from my God. I know that that is a coming time one day when the Lord will take away the heavens and the earth that are now and present and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. I know it's a reference to that. But I also believe that it's a reference from the week-to-week gatherings, the bi-weekly gatherings, when the children of God come and present themselves before the Lord in the city of God and say, Lord, come down to us. Lord, let us feel your spirit. Let us feel the presence of your Holy Spirit. I believe that's a reference to that. Revelation 21 and 2, he speaks of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared. Listen to this now. As a bride adorned for her husband. You remember I told you just a minute ago from Galatians that it says the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is the mother of us all. She's not only a mother, listen, she's not only a mother, but she's also a bride. How about that? She is the bride of Christ. She is the holy bride of Christ that's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And Jesus himself describes her as coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. So I ask you this child of grace if that is a timely reference to when we gather and when we assemble and when we get together and worship the Lord, how are you preparing yourself? You are the bride of Christ, child of God. You are the blood bought bride of Christ that his grace has touched. He loves you. I tell you, when I think about us being the bride of Christ it makes me think about my love for my bride. (laughs) Those of you that are uh, have brides or spouses, you might even say, you know, wife, husband, you know, whatever. But it makes me think of that. And you say, well, I don't have one, Brother Tim, so I can't identify. Well, if you want one one day, this is a good thing to think about. I think about how far short I fall in my love for my bride. It doesn't make me want to quit trying to be the best I can be. No, I look to the Lord and it inspires me. And I think he loves his bride, me, you, with a perfect love. There is no faltering in his love. There is no missing a time he should have been there. There is no missed call with his love. There is no not responding because you're too busy with his love. There's no missing a date night with his love. There's no no gap whatsoever because he's perfect and he loves you. How are we preparing ourselves when we come before our husband, our heavenly father? Jesus says she's a bride prepared as a bride adorned. How are we adorning ourselves for her husband? Verse 10 of Revelation 21 says, That great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. In Revelation 21, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that this is a direct reference from Ezekiel 48. Where in 47, 46 and before. Where in the time of Ezekiel that God is describing the holy city. And he's not talking about physical Jerusalem. He's talking about something that is yet to come. He's talking about a connectivity with God that we can only just have a small, tiny, little, timely foretaste of right here in this life. There's coming a time when the heavenly city, it will be the place that you inhabit. And that heavenly city, according to Ezekiel 48, the last verse, it is known as the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. It's Jehovah Shema. The Lord, Jehovah, is there. That is the name of the heavenly Jerusalem. That is why it is so great. That is why it is so perfect. I want you to look in Revelation 21. I want you to think about the holy city. Now remember this. 
Yes, this is something we're going to go to and this is something that we're going to see. But right now, as you came in those doors and as we assembled and as the Spirit of God, I believe, descended upon us and we began to feel His presence in the singing and we began to feel His presence in the prayer and we began to feel His presence, I pray, in the preaching of the gospel. I tell you, I feel His presence right now as the Heavenly Father has descended in His Spirit upon the city of God assembled. This little outpost of the city of God that's gathered right here. You understand, there's a timely aspect of that. This is speaking of the heavenly aspects of that city. So one of these days, if you could picture it like this, here's a little piece of that city that comes down and worships with us and condescends to us. And it is so gracious and so merciful. And I think sometimes he feels so sorry for me that he'll just come down and say, oh, good gracious, let's leave a blessing for Brother Tim. He's not going to make it another week if we don't give him a little taste of our spirit. And so the spirit comes down and we're getting a little foretaste of what we're about to describe right here. That in no way can ever compare to the amazement and the stunning glory and splendor that you will see one day. But it's a little foretaste. Revelation 21. Notice it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth would pass away and there was no more sea. There'd be no separation. Seas separate people. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, this is Mount Zion. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the heavenly city, Mount Sion. And he says, behold... The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with him and be their God in the holy city in heaven. Whenever we are gathered in that great triumphal city up up there, I started to say upstairs and it is upstairs, but up there, upstairs, the tabernacle of God will be with men. There won't be a need to go to the temple. There won't need to be a place to go and observe the Lord in the holy of holies because the holy of holies is open. It is heaven. It says, God himself shall be with them. Listen to the language, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, there it is again. I make all things new. And he said, Write these words. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Oh, child of grace, do you come to the city of God thirsty as a weary traveler, as in old days when they would travel along and they didn't know how far the distance was or how long it would take to get there. And the day was long and the day was hot. And they come to the city. Where do you find that servant of Abraham who was going to find a wife? for Isaac. What does he do? He goes and positions himself at the well outside the city because he was thirsty. I tell you, child of grace, when you come to the city of God, I hope that you're thirsty. There will be no thirst in heaven because he's the living water. You get it? Look at verse 22. John says, I saw no temple therein. In the heavenly city, there will not be an ornate temple built with pillars because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. You get that? The temple was a figure, but in heaven, God Almighty himself and the Lamb are the temple. They are what is to be approached for worship. And that's the same thing applies here in a timely sense today. We come here, there's not a lot of distractions in the old Baptist church. I'm so glad for that. Because we don't want to distract anything away from the temple of God, which is God Almighty and the Lamb and the Spirit of God. You see? And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. No moon, no sun, because the lamb is the light. Notice it says in verse 25 that the gates of that city will not be shut. If you lived in a city back in those days, you wanted to live in a city that was high walled and had strong gates. What is it that Nehemiah did when he went back and he saw the condition of Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem? The first things that he did is they began to repair the walls and repair the gates so that no enemy could come in. The city of God in heaven will have the gates open at all times because there's no enemies in heaven. Notice Revelation 22 and 1, it says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there's that old tree of life. How about that? And it's got all manner of fruits, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Boy, we want some healing among the nations right now physically, don't we? People dying left and right, people sick left and right, trouble on every side. I'm going to tell you what, there will be no ultimate healing of the nations until we are in that heavenly Jerusalem. It won't happen. But the tree of life will be for the healing of all peoples, of all nations, as they come together in the city of God. No more curse, verse 3. Verse 4 says, and this is the best thing about the city of God. Listen to me. Verse 4, they shall see his face. The best thing I believe about the city of God is you're going to see the face of Jesus. Is that what we come here for? It's just to try to see his face? Verse 5 says, there should be no night, no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever as kings and priests of God. We will reign as kings and priests of God with God because He is the King of kings and He is the priest of priests. There won't be anybody up there thumbing their lapels and saying, look how many people I got to heaven. (laughs) There's only one that gets anybody to heaven and it is Jesus Christ. That's it. Nobody will be bragging about how many souls they saved because there's only one that can save souls and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the difference between that city, our cities here and now. There's some amazing cities in the world. You know, I've been to several of those. I've been to New York. I've been to... Dubai. Think about cities that you've been to. Every one of those cities that you go to nowadays, you go into a room or you go into your hotel room, you know, and you flip a little switch, boop, light comes on. There's a power grid that keeps power to those lights so that you don't have to walk around in the dark. You know, think about 100 years ago, they'd used a lot of candles, that's for sure. But nowadays, with all of the technology and all of the things that we have, there's a power grid. Think about how many lights and how much power those power grids supply. No power grid in heaven. You know who the power grid is? It's Christ. There's no sun. There's no moon. You don't have to worry about flipping a switch coming on or off. Oh, goodness, my power's off. There is eternal power in heaven, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about how blessed we are you could turn the water on. You know, when I was in Dar es Salaam and other places in Africa, you know, we, we couldn't drink the water that you turn on out of the faucet. You know, we had to take and buy our own water, make sure that we didn't drink something that was tainted. You know how blessed you are to live in a place where you don't have to worry about that? <laughs> There's so many sicknesses that come from tainted water. Brother Martin Agnani is alive today because he was able to get clean water. We take that for granted. You know, you got a water department. You have to pay a bill. You also have to pay a power bill. You don't have to pay a power bill in heaven. Jesus already paid the power bill. He is the power bill. And you don't have to pay for water in heaven because the the crystal clear river of life is flowing there. And child of grace, I believe it flows down to us and we get just a tiny little foretaste, just a drop on the tongue when we gather in the city of God. Here in our earthly cities, we have a lot of hospitals, don't we? Those are sad places, aren't they? I never dreamed that I would miss going to the hospital to visit people. I used to dread that because, number one, a lot of times it was not a success story you were going to visit. I snuck in and visited Sister Pam a few weeks ago. (laughs) I wasn't going to let that sister lay there. I hate hospitals. But I love some of the people that are in them. Let me tell you, child of grace, because there's a great physician in heaven, there will be no hospitals in heaven. No checking in, no checking out, no paperwork through Blue Cross Blue Shield or whatever poison you've got for medical insurance. There will be no hospitals in heaven. Nobody's sick. You know these wonderful guys that ride around the county, your county too, my county, the city. I work with so many of them. They wear these blue suits. You know the Greek word for city is polis. Sound familiar? Police. You know why they call police? Because they're policing the city. They're policing the county deputies. I get it. But I've got some very dear friends. I sleep well at night thinking officer so-and-so is out there keeping me safe. Brother Austin Moss, Brother Wayne Moss, our own right here. Others, I sleep good at night thinking they're out there patrolling. Aren't you happy to know that there's no police in heaven? 
And that's not because we're trying to get rid of the police, right? (laughs) It's because there's no need. There's no violence in heaven. We don't need the police to patrol heaven because it's all safe and sound there. We have here on this earth these places called orphanages where where abandoned children, for whatever reason, maybe death or neglect, in the course of my life I've had to take custody of a lot of abandoned children. Y'all remember me telling you the story about little Emily. I have permission to talk about her because I got permission from her adopted parents. But the deputy that took custody of little Emily when she was about three and a half years old said it was the worst place. That deputy had been doing it for 40 years. It's the worst she'd ever seen. Worst she'd ever seen. And y'all know the end result of little Emily. A wonderful married couple over here in Tuscaloosa took her, adopted her. and She literally went from pauper to princess. (laughs) Literally. And she's doing so good. I think about her all the time. And I love to use her as an example from time to time. Let me tell you something. There's not going to be any orphanages in heaven. They're all going to be God's children of equal status, heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Several years ago, I, my family traveled out to the West Coast, and I was stunned and astonished in Los Angeles and some other places like San Francisco where you see these tent cities and you see these homeless people. There's not going to be any homeless people in heaven. No homeless. We'll all be home. Today, if you want to go see the governor of the state of Alabama, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> You want to go see the president of the United States? Triple good luck. You're not going to get in. The incredible ornate buildings that house our officials, the dictators of the world, the emperors throughout time, the kings, little old you and little old me, could we get in there and see them? I don't think so. And yet in heaven, we have access to the throne room. We have access to the throne. You can sit in the lap of the king of kings. You don't even have to have an appointment. Don't ask me how that works out, but it just does. It's what the word of God says. There's no guarded capital in heaven. Any city that you go to, I've been to many. Many times when we take a history trip, we'd go to a a little silent city of the dead. Every city has one. (laughs) The silent cities of the dead, where you have all these little ornate-looking stones up and down, high and low of all shapes and sizes. We go to these cities of the dead within the cities. Tracy and I were, I think it was Lexington, where the shot was heard around the world. And we visited some famous writers that were buried in one of those cities of the dead there and, and near one of those cities. And I thought, you know, no cities like that. No cities of the dead in heaven. There'll be no graves in heaven. Aren't you glad to know that in the city of God, it will be totally different than the way the cities of our world are set up? I'll leave you with these words this morning. I seek a city built above, as wide as it is tall. Its cornerstone was laid by love, and jasper are the walls. Pure gold it's made as clear as glass, but none of this compares. For the glory of that city is because the Lord is there. Up there the streets with gold are laid, twelve gates of pearl within. Though precious stones and grand display, no temples found within. For the Lord Almighty and the Lamb in Jerusalem above, as the temple dwell with man, and the Lamb's the light thereof. As Abraham a city sought, sojourning on his way, the footsteps of the shepherd's flock helped guide me to this place. The Lord himself has marked the path and he will lead us on till by his mercy we will bow beneath the sacred throne. As you assemble yourself in the city of the living God, remember, look up because there is a city above that we are going to where there is no pain, no curse, no sorrow, no orphanages, no hospitals, no silent cities of the dead. And the Lamb is the light of that city. And if we can just get a tiny little glimpse right here and right now, praise God for it. I thank you for your kind attention and your patience. And if we can say anything from our experience together here today, may we go away from here saying, I have been to the city of the living God. And I believe the Spirit of God, the King of that city, 
I believe he's come down and been with us for a while. If you feel that you have been to the city of God, there's no better thing to do than become an official citizen of that city. We're not talking about becoming a child of God. That's God's work. But to become a citizen of that city here on earth, just be baptized. Give the answer of a good conscience towards God. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.